particularly at, a, at the, the gift of a Savior in three contexts. There's the Old Testament context of, of the coming, the prophecy. You know, we talk about there's hundreds of messianic prophecies throughout Scripture. We think, of course, the ones in Isaiah. You know, the book of Psalms is broken down into like five major books. And the end of every one of those is all about the coming of the Savior. How all of this is going to change at some point and the earth will be made whole again. And of course, in the New Testament Gospels, we talk about the celebration of him, his story, the coming of Christ, the birth, his life death and resurrection, and the promise that comes with that. And then, of course, there's that forward-looking expectation of a second coming, which will free us from these failing and feeble bodies uh, and give us a new eternal life with him. And it's that, that promise, that gift to the, to the world today that brings us so much hope in this season. Now, we are in a series called The Thrill of Hope, and we already talked about the hope of redemption and the hope of peace. Today, we're going to talk about the hope of wisdom. So what is wisdom? So my dad used to say, wisdom is the ability to take advantage of someone else's experiences, right? As, as parents, we shed our wisdom to our kids, help you not make the same mistakes I have. Unfortunately, I made most of the same mistakes my dad made, and my son and daughters have made their own share of mistakes as well, right? And that's the problem with wisdom. We, we share wisdom, but we don't always receive wisdom, right? We don't always learn from that. The Webster Dictionary defines wisdom as the soundness of an action or decision with regard to application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. So it's interesting when you look at this, it's the soundness of an action or decision. I have to make a decision about doing something or I have to choose what to do. And wisdom is the ability to take that information that I have, my experience and my knowledge, and make a good decision. Right? I like what um, Charles Spurgeon defines wisdom as the right to use knowledge and God's gospel to teach us the right use of knowledge. You see that sort of circularness to us? We get something idea in our head. We think we know what's right. We go to the God. In the gospel, we go to the word. We measure what we want to do against the word. And now we have some more knowledge. Now we can go in the right direction. Right? So we take everything we know and we lay it against the word. And if it works with the word, then it's, we move forward. If it doesn't, we don't. Now, you can see from these definitions that knowledge has a very strong underlying component to wisdom. And we know that knowledge without wisdom is dangerous. I'm sure many of us have met people in our lives that know everything. They're not particularly practical people, but they're, they know everything and they'll be happy to tell you. Um, yeah, see, I know some of you know those people. <laughs> it's funny, the... Uh, I had a friend that was like, I mean, he knew everything about everything, you know, and, and we used to chuckle because there was times that, I mean, he was like completely wrong and, and, you know, you just let it go. But it was pretty funny. All right. So what wisdom are we talking about? Is there more than one wisdom? Well, unfortunately, yes. There's godly wisdom and then there's human wisdom. Um, and human wisdom is what seems to get us in trouble. Um, in fact, today we see those so-called enlightened people 
that are so full of knowledge that they look at the gospel of Jesus Christ as foolishness. How could someone, knowing all that we know today, how could you possibly believe in God or Jesus? I work with a lot of engineers, and it's a great opportunity to evangelize. We have a lot of fun with it. And they know so much science that they don't need God. They know all this stuff. And it's, some of it's just kind of a kick. I just, um, the, uh, and we have this, this thing today where people just pile up layers and layers and layers of their own reasoning, um, and declare the plan of the, the creator of the universe as folly. Um, now we're created in the image of God. So it's not unusual that we should seek wisdom. Right? We have an extremely wise God, more wise than we can imagine. So it's not unusual that we should seek wisdom. So that's not really the issue. It's not a question of whether we're seeking wisdom. It's the problem is that while our nature desires wisdom, our nature is fallen and it tends to like its own wisdom better than godly wisdom. I don't know how many times I've heard someone say, well, a loving God wouldn't. And then they tell you something that directly contradicts the word. It's like, well, sorry to tell you, but that's not what it says. We see that as early as the garden, we see Eve seeking that special something that will make her wise. In Genesis 3, verses 3 to 6, it says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eye, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave it to her husband, and he ate. Now, it's not that seeking wisdom was wrong. It's seeking wisdom from the wrong source that got Eve into trouble. Right? She was seeking wisdom, but wrapped it in disobedience. She was told not to eat of the fruit, but she did anyway. Because to her, it made more sense. And she listened to the serpent. Now I ask myself, how did Eve, surrounded with God's handiwork, walking with God, the target of his affection and support, how could she do that and then listen to the serpent? How could she do that? Well, don't worry, if we were given the same opportunity, we'd probably do the same thing. So, <laughs> let's not pick on Eve too bad. Um, but we know from the narrative in Genesis that he was able to set her trust and faith in God against her personal reasoning and create a gap big enough you could drive a bus through. Right? And in the 10 or 12,000 years since the creation and the fall, we're in the same boat. We still tend to put our own reasoning ahead of God's. Most of mankind is yet to acknowledge that there are things out there that only belong to God. And by enticing Eve with the prospect of knowledge, as God knows, good and evil, the serpent created doubt about the boundaries of the creature's knowledge. And down the slope she went. Now, again, it's not wrong to desire wisdom. In fact, we read in Second Chronicles 1, verses 8 to 12 with Solomon. Solomon said to God, You have dealt with my father David with great loving kindness and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord, your promise to my father David is fulfilled. For as you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth, give me now wisdom and knowledge 
that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can rule this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, because you had this in mind and did not ask for riches, wealth, or honor, or the life of those who hate you, nor have you even asked for long life, but you've asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may rule my people over which I made you king. Wisdom and knowledge has been granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings who were before you has possessed, nor those who will come after you. And we read about the wisdom of Solomon. You know, the queen of Sheba came down to see him and was amazed at how wise he was. So he started out really well. I mean, he humbly, humbly sought God's wisdom. But, <laughs> or it seems to be a but, <laughs> he kind of walked away from that. He started getting involved in all these things that God told him not to do. Right? And then 300 wives and 700 concubines later, he's totally off track. And he's, all life is vanity. All of this is just a big waste of time. The, uh, the list goes on of people that we look in scriptures that have given up wisdom for their own reasoning. I think of folks like Samson and, you know, there's, there's just a whole list of them out there. So the first point I want to make today is the wisdom of God is in the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 reads, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now this structure of this sentence is really special because the word of the cross is foolishness. So what was the word of the cross. So I go to John 1 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, it's a beautiful picture that we have in this verse, right? Jesus Christ is the Word. All things came into being because of the Word. The Word is life for man, and the Word is on the cross. In fact, eternal life comes through the Word on the cross. But those whose education, knowledge, and earthly wisdom reject the cross. The notion that God descended to earth in human form, bore our sins, carried our sorrows, made atonement for our sins by death on the cross is silliness. Why would God do such a thing? It just doesn't make sense. The wisdom of man attempts to explain away the gospel truth. It's fable. It's myth. It's folklore. I always said, interesting, because they try to compare it to other creation histories, other religions. But Christianity is unique. Christianity, God died for men, not the other way around. One of the interesting parts about Islam is that you get to God by dying for him. The complete opposite. Christianity is unique. 
The wisdom of God is in the cross. Now, notice that the word in this verse is singular, which means that the cross is one uniform teaching. There is only one gospel as there is only one God and only one atonement as there is only one Savior. There is no other gospel. The Old Testament doctrine of salvation by works, salvation by religiousness, is not the word of the cross. The word of the cross is none other than the word of a crucified Son of God who loves us and gave himself for us. Now, what does the cross say? Well, the cross first says that God is just. The dreadful voice of justice, both in severity and certainty, screams from the cross. In the groans and sighs of Jesus on the cross, the world witnessed the justice of God. Jesus took upon himself the sin of man, and he had to die for it, because wherever sin is, God must destroy it. Supreme justice must visit iniquity with death, and therefore Jesus on the cross, though himself perfectly innocent and unspeakably lovely, must die the death, deserted by his Father because of the iniquity of us all had been placed on him. That is the word of the cross and the wisdom of God. But is there more? Everybody knows John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Such simple words, and yet such a profound thought. The words of the cross shout justice, but they also shout mercy. The word of the cross, God vindicated his law and displayed his love. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not assigning sin upon those that deserved it, but instead, through the cross, gave us a path to righteousness. So how is it that people still can despise the cross? How is it that they can call the doctrine of atonement foolishness? In fact, Karl Marx says that religion is there for the simple-minded. It's the opiate of the masses. I mean, how could one possibly believe such a story? Simple. Because the word of the cross is not the offspring of human reasoning, but it's the gift of godly revelation. All the great thinkers of the age could never have invented a plan of salvation in which divine justice and mercy could be equally clearly visible together. Godly justice, godly mercy, equally abundant on the cross. It offends their pride, for nothing so profound could have come from the minds of men. We read in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 19 to 25, For it is written, 
I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Excuse me. So again, the wisdom of God is in the cross. My second point is, so seek to temper human reason with godly wisdom. As believers, our faith should temper our human reason, and we don't rely on what we think should be, but rather what God said should be. Reasoning faith acknowledges that in the space between heaven and earth, there are secret things that belong to the Lord. We don't have to be able to understand everything to have faith in God. I mean, who here can completely explain the nature of the Trinity? The perfect balance between providence and free will. The birth of a child to a virgin. An empty tomb. There are many things that are beyond our ability to completely explain but within our faith to accept. Reasoning faith looks up in gratitude to a creator knowing that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are the Lord's way higher than ours. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. Reasoning faith knows that God, by committed trust in him, by participation in his life and by sharing in his fellowship and by experiencing love. That's how God wants us to know him. As believers, we can rely on God's wisdom. Human reason tempered by godly wisdom shows up in a believer's life. We read in James chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is at first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. I love that. The wisdom of God is pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Look at the world today. I mean, it's weird. I don't know how else to describe it. I just, stuff's going on. And you look at it and you go, this is really weird. I don't know how y'all feel about what's going on with the election, and I'm not going to get political here, but 
That's weird. A whole thing happening? That's weird. Right? This, this whole thing, I mean, we were talking earlier with some of the people about how our kids are struggling in this age of COVID and school and no school and, and, and all this stuff that's going on. I mean, I have an eight-year-old grandson who's depressed. And I'm thinking, that's weird. I mean, when I was eight years old, you wouldn't find me in the house. I mean, I was gone. The only thing I knew was that I couldn't leave before breakfast and I had to be back by six. Other than that, I was a dot. I mean, there was too much in the world to sit at home. You know, but today everybody's, I gotta hide out, I gotta hang out, right? It's weird. And certainly we look at what we see today in social media and, and all these other environments. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many people on average find social media to be pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy? Yeah, no. <laughs> no, it's not. We desperately need the wisdom of God back in our lives. Right? You can't let human reason drive everything. You know, I did a quick search of the scriptures and about, found about 300 verses that talk about seeking godly wisdom. It's a pretty popular topic. Um, clearly, God thinks seeking his wisdom is an important thing to do. And you should, too. Now, it's not hard to find. In fact, in Proverbs 1, verses 20 to 22, it tells us, Wisdom shouts in the streets. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates of the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded and scoffers that delight in themselves in scoffing and in fools that hate knowledge? So I want you to think of today, when we look at the way we are in the world, but not of the world, right? People like it's like, I'm fine. What do you mean by that? You know, freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. <laughs> That's the definition of fine. So we live in difficult times. Right? But lay that to the Lord. You know, I think of the picture, or think about truly being at peace with the Lord as this idea of this infant laying in a father's arms or a mother's arms, right? For us to be able to rest in the Lord that way. To find peace in the Lord that way. To find God's wisdom in our life. And that's what I want to leave with you guys today. That God offers that godly wisdom. And so in the panic of the day, in the fear of the day, of all this stuff of the day, relax. Put your faith in the wisdom of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that you are indeed the source of wisdom. The word of the cross, the notion that mankind would be saved through a God that loves them, that was willing to die for them, so that both your justice and your mercy could be displayed equally. Certainly not created by man. Man has... No such wisdom. No such capability for reasoning. And so, Lord, we put our faith, the message of the gospel, 
the word of the cross, we give this day to you. Open up our hearts and minds to your wisdom. Help us to seek you, to find you, and to find peace in this great season. In Jesus' name, amen.